he was like, why do you have to stay here? And I said, I'm going to be here every day and I'm not leaving because I didn't join the army to watch Dr. Phil. I joined the army to serve and I need you to teach me. Did you have that day where you said maybe they're right? No. It was hard, but you kept showing up, didn't you? You have to. It's no choice. If you want to serve, you have to. From Carry the Load, these are lessons from the front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. Today's story is so applicable in so many aspects of life. It's no secret that women have had a challenge integrating into the military, but the vast majority of the stories you hear are the extreme cases that are tough for a father of daughters to emotionally process. Fortunately, today's story is not one of those. Rather, we focus on the challenges that occur even when everyone is trying to do the right thing and work within the rules and boundaries that have been laid out. To be clear, this is neither an endorsement nor an indictment of women in the military or the policies that accompany those decisions. This episode highlights the challenges of Alyssa Dare, one of the Army's first female combat engineers serving in a combat role. And it's the kind of situation you have likely experienced in your own right, although under different circumstances. Sometimes though, as hard as we try, as much as we want to be a part of something, we just don't feel like we fit in. It's not necessarily anyone's fault, it just is. Please remember to like, share, review, and subscribe so that these stories and the journeys of our protectors will be heard. I'm your host, Todd Boating, and I welcome you to my conversation with Alyssa Dare. When you get through your training and you get to Afghanistan, 2003, you're in Afghanistan. You find yourself in combat. Tell me about that. Well, we were lucky. We were civil affairs, so we built schools and clinics. And... Um, we were engineers. I actually started out as a facilities engineer, but I didn't want to do that. Um, so they let me move into the engineer section. Um, and there was mixed thoughts about what we were there for and um, what our roles were. And a lot was changing then because the Army was, in my opinion, learning how to be in Afghanistan. What was the mission, though? What I knew our mission was, was to build schools and clinics so the Afghans would have faith in their government. And we were not supposed to be a central part of that. We made it happen, but they were supposed to believe that the Afghans did it. So every ceremony was Afghan-led, had Afghan songs, they spoke in Afghan. Um, that sounded right, but anyway. So in Afghanistan, were you... Did you ever experience any combat there? Were you, um, were you fortunate enough to avoid? No. Um, for the most part, we were pretty um, safe, I would say. Um, we operated differently because we were within ISAF boundaries, which was Kabul, the city. and uh, But we did go outside of ISAF boundaries to work in villages and uh, we felt very safe. We were building schools and clinics, so we were helping. And I knew that the Taliban hit people that were there to help, um, and it was shocking every time it happened. We felt like we had good relationships with the villages, and we would go out, and 
we would go inspect the jobs and we would, um, they would bring food to us and uh, we would have lunch with them and we would talk and we were oblivious. We'll be back next week. <laughs> I mean, just because we weren't worried. We didn't think anything bad was going to happen. So uh, we did get hit with an IED. Um, and we don't really know why or who. Um, but we were all safe and healthy. And we all made it out fine. So you were on your way to help people. Yeah. I think we didn't have enough cultural awareness. And I think we didn't understand what was really happening there. And um, I think we thought we were helping. I don't know if we really were. I mean, we I know we were building schools and clinics, and it's tangible, and you could see schools and clinics. Um, but I don't know the long-term success of that. Those that you interacted with. You feel you think they felt that way? Um, the I think most people did. I mean, I think it was kind of hard afterwards because they felt really betrayed um, because they couldn't figure out why they would want to hurt us, um, which is super naive. Um, but I just and really, we talked a lot about like I don't know if these are good things to say. Um, I had a contractor one time, so we paid contractors to do the work. A lot of the construction wasn't, it definitely wasn't American construction. Are these mainly Afghanistan con contractors? contractors? Yeah. And I, I think some of it was subpar. And I said so. And I had an engineer with me, an engineer uh, NCO, and we would talk about what exactly wasn't to the right standards. So these are things that I relied on my NCOs to help me with. But I would say it. I would say, this is what we need. And you need to do this. And why aren't you doing it? And this one, this one guy was like, this one contractor, he says, Captain, if you come back next year and check this out, I'll do it the way you want me to. And I was like, hmm. you know I'm not coming back next year. He said, I know. I know you're not coming next year. He said, I'm making as much money as I can while I can because I know that you guys don't care. He said, do you know um, what you've done as a country? And I was like, what? I, I had no idea. I was so embarrassed. And it, we didn't learn anything about Afghanistan or the history or anything when we came. And so I was like, what? And he said, you're the, you're the reason we're here in this situation. And he had a long story about it. And, and I realized, I was taken aback because I realized I don't, I don't know the culture and like another example of the culture, there were these flyers that they sent out and they talked about like making Afghanistan a cohesive nation. It was very American. And I thought, wow, this is great. And I told the interpreter, I was like, this is so cool. And he was like, you don't understand our country, do you? And he was like, we're a tribal country. We don't look at it that way. We're not looking for a central government to run our country. So you're, trying to push something on us that isn't ours and it won't ever be ours and you won't ever succeed. And um, it was really eye-opening and discouraging to hear those kind of things. Um, that's where I think we thought we were helping, but I'm not sure we really were. I don't think what we were delivering was what they wanted to receive. I did fire a contractor because he didn't do work to the standard he was supposed to. 
and that was pretty common. We would have villagers come and tell us they're not paying us. Like you're paying them, but they're not paying us. And that wasn't something that we were responsible for. And so there wasn't anything I could do about that. So we fired him. And the colonel supported me. We sat at a table just like this. And he said, you're going to let this woman tell me what to do. You're going to let this woman fire me? And, I, and my commander said, yeah. He said, because she said you didn't meet the standards. So, yes, we're going to select another contractor to finish the job because you're not finishing it. And um, that was hard. Obviously, I mean, he felt very insulted. Oh, cultural norms. Yeah. That's the other thing is um, in Afghanistan, they told me to treat them like you would any American. They said, teach them how to do business like Americans do. Who, wait, who's and they? Who, when the you people say around they told me, you. The people around me. Meaning other Americans? Who. Yeah, other Americans. And they said, when you go out to these jobs, you, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, you teach them how Americans do business. And so I'd look them in the eye and I'd shake their hands and I'd, and I found out later that I was not doing the right thing as a woman. I wasn't supposed to touch. Right. They, we were not supposed to touch. I was not supposed to look them in the eye. I was not supposed to smile. Um, that communicated something very different than what my intention was. Um, and we got a lot of comments. I wasn't the only woman and they would joke a lot about how, oh, are you here to find a husband? Uh, how many goats can I trade you for? We all laughed because we were so naive and so culturally unaware. We had no idea. And we would all laugh and be like, ha ha. And they'd be like, and I don't remember, like, I think back to it and I think, hmm, I really wasn't in the right role for, and, and I think the army learned, as I know other friends went and did civil affairs jobs, I think they learned how to use women in a more productive role because I think putting me in that job wasn't productive because of the cultural differences and the lack of understanding that we had for for them and what 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 was expected culturally. You never received any kind of cultural brief. Okay, so I, and I I would I would assume that was a, a an oversight of some kind. Because that that is that is absolutely so important understanding the cultures and, and the military mm -hmm. for the most part I think is really good at that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't sound like you were really set up for success on that one. No, no, and I mean we did our best, and we had one of our interpreters was an engineer. Our interpreters were life saving. They helped us so much. Um, and they were Afghans, correct? They were Afghans. Uh, the biggest thing was cultural differences and and they would interpret and sometimes they would talk for a lot longer or a lot shorter than I did and we would be like did you really just say what I said and they'd be like well we changed it a little <laughs> and, you don't want to say think, that yeah and they they would say and they would tell us when we'd go into villages this is what you need to do this is how you need to act you need to take your shoes off at the door you can't just walk in there all American and think like oh I'm just because it's different. The culture is so different. And so they did their best to help us. And um, they taught me some Dari. I was pretty excited about that. Um, we would meet weekly and they would teach Dari to us. And um, we had a good relationship with the interpreters. They were really good to us. Would you do it again? Yeah. Serve? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Even though it was very hard. Mm hmm Why was it hard? 
I wasn't really a good fit, I think, but I did my best. And the people who believed in me said that they gave me opportunities because I cared. And it didn't matter that I wasn't perfect at it. It mattered that I cared more than anything else. And so that caring never changed. But my desire to be better felt like I was falling short often. So it felt hard because I wanted it to be better. But I cared a lot. And so... And then just I learned things that I wouldn't learn anywhere else in life, nowhere else. So that's what I got out of it. <laughs> like I got a lot of lessons um, and I did my best to serve as well as I could. You didn't say this, but what I'm hearing you say is that you almost, you didn't want to stand out for the reasons that people were pushing you out in front of everybody else, meaning first woman in, in, as an engineer in combat. There was other women doing it too. Just I was the first woman in that battalion. I didn't know till after, but afterward, I was told that there were other women walking simultaneously with me, <laughs> experiencing the same thing. But I didn't know. So, are these women that you went through training with? Nah, I didn't know them. So, and then even years later, like I had a um, a really good friend of mine from college said we talked about like whether we were like, how do we feel about our service? And I said, I always felt like I fell short. And she said, you know, it's really interesting because I know other women that feel the same way about their service. And they had, they were first, they did whatever it was first. I had no idea. I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know that that had happened. And it was totally different, right? Like one was the first woman to go through airborne school and um, just different, milestones and it was in the 80s and this was I was graduating in 97 so this was way later and even my own family my mom was in the air force my aunt was a I want to say flight mechanic I don't know what her job was but she did a lot of things that hadn't been done by women before and hard this was in the 70s and then when I told her my story she was like I don't understand, but this was the Air Force. She was in the Air Force, so it was different. Was the yeah, the, the Air Force was um, integrated, if you will, um, gender-wise, well ahead of the Army and the Marine Corps. But why do you feel like you fell short? I mean, is that is that because you hold yourself to a high standard? Is it because you honestly didn't feel like you achieved Things that you were, you know, that, that, that you were put on a, a, put under a spotlight about? I mean, why do you feel like you fell short? I don't know. I think it was just really hard. And, like, looking back, I was a support platoon leader first. Before I was, I was never a line platoon leader. I wasn't allowed to be. So you brought up the difference, you know, that the path, the platoon leader of a line platoon and support platoon leader that, that you, it sounds like you kind of hit those in reverse. Mm -hmm. So only, explain, what, only explain to people what that is, the difference between the two. Um, 
I always have a hard time explaining military. <laughs> so, um, so a line platoon is ty- is typically the doers, correct? Yes. Okay. So most of the time, if I'm understanding you correctly, people are going to go through the process first as a line platoon leader, then as a support leader. But you actually went the reverse. Is that what I'm understanding? Well, I didn't ever go to a line platoon because I wasn't allowed to at the time. Okay. So I went to support platoon and then they actually took me out of the battalion. I went to a different, whole different unit where women were more common um, because there wasn't anywhere to put me next either. Like I was in the support platoon. It was the army of the 21st century. It was the, they were experimenting with everything. They were experimenting with the computers. They were experimenting with the navigation equipment. They were experimenting with radios. They experimented with women. <laughs> but I understand but. exactly what you're saying. That That's why it was so hard because you were, in some ways you felt like part of an experiment. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's, that's kind of what I heard. Um, well, I mean, I just, I joined the army to be a medical person. That was my plan. Um, I was delusional. I thought I was going to get an RTC scholarship and then join the Peace Corps. <laughs> and that's not how the army works. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I went to the army and then I thought, well, I'll be med service. They didn't need med service that year. They needed engineers. So, and I wasn't the only one. There were four or six of us, a bunch of us at OBC that wanted it too. And just, they didn't need med service that year. So I was an engineer and then I was supposed to go to Korea, but I traded with someone to go to Fort Hood. And when they called the assignment person, she said, you're going to be the first female in the 299th. And I was like, ah, you chose the wrong girl. I was like, that's a bad idea. I said, you should pick someone else. And she's like, nope, that's going to be your job. (laughs) And that's what you're doing. And I was like, is there any way I can not do that? And she's like, nope, that's your job. That's what you're going to do. That's what we've picked for you. What I'm understanding, though, is that the the Army was not ready to have women in those roles. That That, unit didn't know how to do it. So Okay, so it was more of a unit challenge. Well, yeah, because they were the ones that had to deal with me, right? Like. I came. The way you say that, though, is what do you mean? <laughs> the way they, they had said to it. Deal with you. <laughs> well, they came and they were like, I remember. That is a cuss word, but not really. No, go for um, it. He was like, "Damn it, LT! What am I going to do with you? Why are you here?" And I was like, "Do with me what you do with anybody else." I said, "Just treat me the way you treat anybody else." But I think there was a lot of things about the army that I didn't understand. Is that I couldn't be treated the way anybody else would because I wasn't anyone else I was different and so and that is what my platoon sergeant told me and I was so frustrated because I was like I could totally do what they're doing and he said you could but the people aren't ready for you to do that the soldiers aren't ready for you the culture is not ready for you he was being protective of you Mm -hmm. and he said it just he said we're not ready for it as the culture is not ready for women to be here yet and that was his explanation. Because like I said, I watched what they did and I was like, mm, I could do that. I, I don't see anything about that job that I couldn't do. And what's he what's said, an example? The demo range, like running a demo range. Running but, a demo range, not not actually performing physical aspects of it. Right. But, but managing the execution of it. Mm-hmm. And it was mechanized. So none of us, like we didn't, we didn't rock, we didn't. There wasn't as much physical aspect. In other words, you could have been 250 pounds and it wouldn't have prevented you from doing it. 
And so, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I think about the, it's been so long, the picket pounders. Those are heavy. Mm-hmm. That have been hard. Um, but I don't think lieutenants did that so much. No, that's, that um, wasn't a. Yeah. Okay. So besides that though, I can't think of anything physically that I couldn't have done, but. So it was just emotionally. Culture. The soldiers weren't ready to accept. That's not what they, what they joined. And so I guess, you know, the, the only question I can ask to that is would, would they ever have been ready had somebody not been the first one? That I don't know. I mean, I guess you got to start somehow. And I remember the battalion commander told me when I first got there, he told me that he was at West Point when the first women went through West Point. And he told me how hard it was. And he said, I, I understand that this is a really hard place to be. Um, I can't imagine going through West Point. So <laughs> I don't think being in the Army was like that at all. But um, it was an interesting comparison. And it was interesting that he drew that comparison. Um, but I think he was just trying to be empathetic, like trying to like maybe tell me that there were other people who had done this first and they made it. <laughs> And so, I mean, maybe that's what his intent was. You had to have kind of felt like you were going through it alone a little bit. I'm trying to think of like who I relied on for support or. It was just me. (laughs) I remember this one NCO came up one day and he's like, I don't know how you come to work every day. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's just you have you get such a hard time. I don't know like how you keep coming. And I was like, what, what else am I supposed to do? Am I, just, I'm not going to go home. I came here to serve. So I'm here, I'm doing it, but I don't remember. So that it felt good to be recognized that way, to be like, I think he was trying to encourage me and it felt like he was being supportive. Um, and I had a lot of NCOs that helped me in a lot of ways, just like my platoon sergeant, making sure things work, teaching me how things work. Um, since we were a support platoon, we were closely related to the supply section. So they would, this is how this works. This is how you do this. So that was, was really helpful. But I, w- I want to go back real quick to something you said, the, the, the NCO that came up to you and said, uh, I don't know how you keep doing it. Was there something in particular that he was referencing? Was there something that, that, that he saw that you weren't necessarily seeing? I don't know. I just knew it was hard. I, I knew it was hard. And the platoon sergeant used to tell me, why don't you just, why do you have to stay here every day? Can't you just go home and watch Phil Donahue or something, or Dr. Phil, and I was like, Wait, what? this is the same platoon sergeant? Yeah, same platoon sergeant. He's like, why do you have to stay? We fought, we fought all the time. People were like, are you serious? Like, this is such a pain. And I was, he was like, why do you have to stay here? And I said, I'm going to be here every day, and I'm not leaving because I didn't join the Army to watch Dr. Phil. I joined the Army to serve, and I need you to teach me. And so I came every day. And do you think he would have taken that same approach with a, with a guy? Because it sounds like I kind of think so. It sounds like he was he was really truly invested in your success. That's that's what I heard you say. But on the other hand, what I heard you say was, "Stay out of my way." 
-hmm. because the, let me do my job. Yes. And he said, I want to do things my way, but I can't because you're a woman and I can't do that in front of you. And I said, you just do what you'd normally do. Treat people how you'd treat people. Treat me how you'd treat people. Do everything like you normally would is what I wanted. And that's what I said. But he said he couldn't. He was like, I can't do that in front of you. And I don't know what was normal. I just know what I saw. So You don't know what he was talking about? Um, I mean, he wanted to yell at soldiers, but he felt like he couldn't do it in front of me because I was a woman. Um, but he yelled at soldiers in front of me. I don't want to reflect poorly on other people because my no, stories no, involve no, no. other people and I respect him a whole lot. And I don't, I'm I don't... so grateful for him. And he said that. He'd always say, one day, LT, you're going to miss me. You're going to miss me. You think you don't like me. He's like, but you're going to miss me. And I did. <laughs> he was right. Some things. Some things. I didn't miss the conflict. It was hard. And I think other people didn't miss the conflict either because I had other people be like, you guys fight all the time. I can't stand it. And I came back to visit and the first sergeant was like, I don't know if you guys loved each other or hated each other. And, he, and I was like, I don't know either. <laughs> I really don't know. But I did miss him when I left because he was so good. But it sounds and like he made you better. He did in a lot of ways. You know, and, and you know, that, that to me is what a really good staff NCO should do. Um, they should challenge you. They, they shouldn't, you know, just because you're the leader doesn't mean that they should do everything you say the very first time, at the very first breath, they should challenge you. You definitely shouldn't have done what I said because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I think you're being a little hard on yourself. Well, I mean, I was, what, 22? And I'd never been in the Army. I think you're too hard on yourself. <laughs> Maybe. That might be something I have in my personality. But So was there a time, was there a specific incident that, that happened to you when you kind of sat back and you go yeah, and they may be right the army is not ready for for women in this role no i never felt like there was anything i couldn't do or I mean, I, there were things I couldn't do, right? I wasn't allowed to be in a line platoon. I wasn't allowed to go to ranger school. Um, there were things I could not do as a woman. Um, but as hard as it was, did you have that day where you said, maybe they're right? No. It was hard, but you kept showing up, didn't you? You have to. It's not a choice. If you want to serve, you have to. Tell me about the time that, that made it worth it. The people. They were really good people. Who stands out and why? Uh, I had a commander in the 74th who was a woman, and she was so strong. So strong and so loyal, and um, she taught me so much. Just so much about being a woman in the army, like I would come and talk with her about the struggles I had. Um, there were times when I was misunderstood or I couldn't understand what was going on. Why were people acting a certain way? I'm trying so hard. Why don't they understand? And she was like, well, can you imagine if you were them? And so it was just really good, 
good to have that guidance. And um, she had faith in me. And I didn't always, but she always did. And she, um, wow, I'm supposed to cry. <laughs> uh, she nominated me with BXO and for the company. And I said, I, I can't do that job. And she said, it's my company and I think you can. And so she had faith in me. And I really appreciated that. So you became her XO? She had to leave. She was moving. Like the change of command happened right after. But so I was the XO for the company. But yes, I was her XO. And then I was the next XO. So, so she had more confidence in you than you did. She did. <laughs> she did. You've been very, very open about some of your challenges. What was your biggest takeaway? What do you teach your kids from your own experiences in the Army? I tried to imagine what you'd ask me, and this wasn't it. <laughs> um. I just try to teach them about being good people, having integrity. Um, I don't feel like it's related to the Army so much. I think it's just, I think they need to try their best to be, to work hard, to have integrity. Um, I don't think it really matters where they work. They'll bring all that with them, and I hope that they do. With uh, Memorial Day just around the corner, who are you carrying this year? Um, Matthew August is a person I went to OBC with, and um, he was killed in 2004 in Iraq, and um, I didn't actually find out about it till after, um, but I carry Matthew and um, Stuart Wolfer and Colonel Scott, who are people that served with Glenn, and uh, Cody Board, who also was a, one of Glenn's co-workers' sons. And last year, I learned that a friend of mine's brother was killed in Iraq as well. And it was 2005. And so I carry him now as well. I appreciate you sharing their names. This has been fun. Roger Dietz was his name. Roger Dietz. Deeds. Roger Deeds. Deeds. That's awesome. Again, thanks for sharing. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.